Welcome to the Amity Bible Church with our pastor, Dr. Les Smith, because our vision is to become the church that Christ intended it to be, to know God and to make him known as our mission. And we are committed to loving God, serving others, and are unashamedly obsessed with sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you can always get the message online, YouTube, Facebook, and our podcast that's air on all major podcast platforms. Make sure you like and subscribe to all three. Pastor Martin began a series four weeks ago entitled Loving God. Today, he discusses the conviction of love and how God wants us to respond. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 7 through 14, and listen as Pastor Martin dives deeper into the message. As we find ourselves working, working our way through the sermon series this month, one of the things that we want to continue to reiterate is that loving God has a look. It has something that is intentional. Just as with any person engaged in a relationship with someone else, there are going to be attributes of that relationship that are exhibited if that person looks or desires to demonstrate their love. Now, here's the thing. There's a new societal norm that's, that tends to be trending in the way of never saying no, that every whim or idea or pursuit or passion of the individual should be pursued vehemently, and those who love them in order to support them in love are not to have any reservation about their support. That whatever I desire to do, if you love me, you say, I support you. This, this prohibition against no, however, is a challenge because for some, it's, it's defined as an essential element in order for love to demonstrate itself. If you're going to show me that you love me, then you have to say yes to what I desire to do. Unfortunately, that is not how love defines itself. So, and here in certain, certain parenting models are even looking for terminology and phrases that don't even use no looking for alternative means by which to, 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 to discourage an action rather than simply just saying no. Here's the reality. Social media influencers suggest that, hey, you should never accept anyone's no. Progressive advocates who are emboldened with this sense of a responsibility to rebel against all tradition, social norm, and even in some cases, scriptural, biblical scriptural teaching, say don't ever accept anyone's no. However, God, who is the essence of love, the very essence of love, who has demonstrated the greatest demonstration of love when he sent by his redemptive gift of his son, Jesus Christ, to come into the world, to die for the sins of the world, this God who is love and the essence of love and has demonstrated the greatest expression of love unequivocally says no. The one who is love, the one who's shown love, says no. Our text today is an example of that very thing. Some background information. So David, King David, had, uh, was out one morning, and some of you have already heard this many times before, and for, but this is for those who don't, who don't know the backstory. 
King David is out. He's supposed to be. It's the time in which he should have been out in war, but he was back at the king, laid back, back at the castle, at the palace, laid back chilling. He goes out one morning, stretching and looking, and looks out and he sees a woman, and she's out bathing. And he likes what he sees. He sends for her to come to him. He comes to, she comes, and naturally he's the king, he's the sovereign, so she must do what he asks. He asks her to come in, she comes in, and he knows her, according to Scripture. And then she becomes pregnant. When she comes back to tell him, King David, I'm pregnant, he says, oh, okay. But then she says, but what about my husband? So King David says, who is his, her husband? He inquires, he finds out that her husband is one of, his, one of the lead soldiers out battling on his behalf and on the behalf of King of Israel. Here's the thing. So David calls Uriah back home, hoping to cover his sin. Isn't it always the natural inkling to try to cover? But here's, so he brings him home and he tells Uriah, he says, hey, come, you've been out there battling, you're tired, rest, go home and rest. But Uriah is so committed. He goes to his house, but he won't go in because he says, if my soldiers are still out there fighting, I should not be home enjoying my wife. So he sleeps on the porch. Someone comes back and says, King David, that Uriah, he's sleeping on his porch. He won't even go in his house. David says, okay, plan B. Send him out to the most heated part of the battle. And once he gets out there and gets fighting, withdraw from him. They send Uriah out. Committed, dedicated soldier. David sends him out, they retreat, he dies. David then takes his wife, brings her in, nurtures her through, she has the baby. Once the baby's born, the Lord sends the prophet Nathan. And Nathan comes to David and he tells him a story. He says, hey, King David, I know you're a just man. Listen to this story. He says, he said, I was a man and he had just one little lamb. And he loved that lamb. He, he took very good care of that lamb. He nurtured that lamb. He was very kind to his lamb. He said, but there was another man who had all the lambs he wanted. And yet he took that man's lamb. King David says, who is he that I might avenge him? And Nathan says, King, you that man. You're the man in the story. You could have had any woman you want, but you had this man. He had this just one little wife and you wanted her. That's what brings us here. Because the reality is, King David wanted to execute justice upon the man who would take another man's one lamb. Now watch this, as he hears this unequivocal no, David has a choice. He either decides 
to cover even further or he decides to repent. I want to show you something because as the king, he and Nathan are in the room, likely alone. He could have ordered even Nathan to be killed. But he responded after being convicted. I want to speak to David's love for God, which guided his reaction to God's no. Now, there's something that we must first start with because when we use the terminology conviction, there are three uh, specific definitions that Webster Dictionary gives us that helps us understand. The first, for, first and foremost, is conviction when someone's found guilty, as we've seen that David's found guilty here. However, there's another definition. The second definition says this. It's a strong persuasion of belief, the state of being convinced. So here's the reality. David, after hearing the story, after responding, and then ultimately finding himself there, faced with the reality of his wrong, he had to be convinced that he was wrong. Conviction. And then lastly, the act of convincing someone of error. So when we look at conviction, the conviction of love, we can see that God is actively working to help us understand when we're wrong, helping to convince us to be sure that it is wrong, and then he will work and continue to persuade that, hey, that is still wrong. Because here's the reality, if we would agree to be honest today, we would say sin feel good. If you would step, off, step back from your role as, 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 as a pious, pious Christian, you would say, it, it kind of feel good to do some wrong. That's why we say things like, oh, we're going to cut loose. What does that mean? What does cut loose mean? Huh? It means getting outside of what you know you shouldn't do. So we, if we we're honest, we say it feels good. So the reality is sometimes we have to be convinced that the thing that feels so good is wrong. Yeah. The songwriter said, how can something that feels so good be so wrong? Because in the end, it does feel good. However, we must understand that it is still wrong, which leads us to our first point today. Where there's a standard, there's always going to be a no. Where there's a standard, there's going to be a no. Because when we talk about standards, standards is something you, you're saying yes to or you say no to. If you say, yes, I'll do this or I'll meet the standard, then you're saying no to not meeting it. If you say, yes, I'm not going to meet it, then you're saying no to meeting it. Okay. So ultimately, you're making a choice either to abide by the standard or not to. The reality is, is that when you decide to break the law, you either decide I'm going to, the standard is here and I'm going to stay there or I'm going to exceed that. Drivers, Texas drivers. I'm from the Midwest, I'm from Indianapolis, Indiana. We had a few highways. 465 was a circle around the whole city. 75, 70 ran right through it, 74 came and went around it, and 65 went right through the middle. 
but driving in Texas, <laughs> North Texas, the horn, the horns, I, I, you know, I didn't know all the cars in Indianapolis had horns, but here everyone has one. <laughs> Even when there's no need to blow the horn. Yeah. The light is green, I'm pulling off, but maybe not fast enough, so. So there's always a standard, and when there's a standard, it's going to be a no. Here's the reality. One of the things I've come to understand one of the greatest disservices we're doing today to our children is not helping them become comfortable with and acquainted with no. And this is in the face of our of parents oftentimes being very comfortable with them telling them no. Let me help you out. I'm in the store, standing in the checkout, I'm waiting. As I'm standing there, there's a little, there's, there, I hear a resounding, unequivocal no happening in front of me. However, it's not the parent, it's the four-year-old boy. He's not ready to leave the store. So he's saying, no, dad, no. Here's where it got real for me. He was so emphatic about his no, he started kicking his dad, telling him no. The father's a Buddy, bud, hey, 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 man, hey. I'm thinking, oh. Now, here's the thing. I begin to pray. At that very moment, I'm praying. Greta, I'm praying, I'm praying, but I'm not praying for the child or the dad. I'm praying for myself. Because I'm saying, how can I stand here and keep my mouth closed? But ultimately, the boy is less comfortable with no than the father is. He's emphatically telling his dad no, but he's not willing to receive his dad's no. So we're doing a great disservice to our children because wherever there's a standard, you're always gonna have a no. Here's how this works. If you walk in the store and what you want is $50 and you only have 30, that's a no. You can't just slide it in your pocket. There's a no in that price tag, $50, $30, no. You can't say put the 30 back. Because if we don't become comfortable with no, we'll find ourselves missing a very important part of this journey in life. So as we talk about standards, there's two questions that I want to pose today. Certainly we all have standards of living, of how we live. David had a standard of how he wanted to function. However, but I want to speak more specifically to standard as it relates to a life that is set on loving God and living an expression of love to him. So the first question I must ask is, who sets the standard? Who sets the standard? If you will slide up to verse number nine in our text, you'll find out here's the standard setter. He says, why have you despised the commandment of the Lord? To do evil in his sight. See, ultimately, if we don't become comfortable with the reality of no, that when we come to God, we come expecting him to always say yes. 
even when what it is violates his standard. So here's, let me go back to the little boy in line. After I prayed for myself, I did pray for him and for his father. Because I begin to understand that even if this young man, if he grows up and never understands no, how can he ever hear the gospel? Because the gospel message is based upon a no. Sin, all have sinned. God says no to sin. And the wages of that sin is death. That's the no. So first question is, who sets the standard? The next question is this, and I must invoke Shakespeare here. To keep or not to keep? That is the question. To keep, if God sets the standard, the next question is, am I going to keep the standard or not? Now I need you to turn in your Bible here. Turn, if you would, to the Gospel of St. John, the chapter 14. Gospel, the Gospel of St. John, chapter 14. I want to show you a few things because here's the reality. That when we see uh, God talking about his standard, one of the things that he does is answer this question to keep or not to keep. He declares that we must keep if we're going to love. Let's look at verse 15. There's three verses here, but we're going to start at verse 15. Verse 15 says, this is Jesus speaking. He says, if you love me, what? If keep. To keep or not to keep, Jesus says, well, if you're going to love, keep. All right? Slide down to verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. All right, one more. Slide down to verse 23, and we'll grab 24 with that as well. Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home or our bowl with him. He who does not love, he does not keep my words. And the word which I hear is not mine. It's what my father's given me. So the standard setter says, hey, if you're going to love and live in this relationship of love, you're going to have to keep some commandments. You got to understand the standards because God has a standard. We all have standards in our relationship. Amen. Amen. One, one standard that happens in most, in, in, well, every relationship of marriage is that you don't want some, you don't want to be sharing. Amen. Is that, is that a good, is that a good assessment that every, every marital relationship says, Hey, I didn't come to share. I have mine. Everyone has theirs, but this is mine, right? Uh, uh, children understand this. That, hey, uh, if you're going to be my friend, you can't play with them. Because ultimately we understand that there's, there's going to be boundaries or guidelines for the love relationship. 
So here's the reality. If, in fact, God is a standard setter, and he's also the one who's engaged in this love, who, who initiated this love affair with mankind, God unequivocally says no. So that leads us to our next point, and that is this. True love has to say no. Unlike what we're hearing trending in our society that if you love me, then you will support me. If you love me, mom, if you really love me, then you, you will accept this. Even when it stands in contrast to biblical scripture. But true love has to say no. In our text, we have King David, and I want you to understand something. I'm going to show you a few things because God loved David, and he loved him dearly, but he still said no. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, here's how God describes David, a man after my own heart. What, what, what would that be like for God to give you that kind of title, Brother Johnny? That Johnny's a man after my heart. That's, that's a, that sounds like a, a divine hug, doesn't it? Like a bear hug. So David is described as a man after God's own heart. Now, here's something also for you Bible scholars. If you ever want to study how God felt about David, you turn to Psalm 89. I'm not going to have you to go there because I'm going to highlight a few things from there, but I will. In your, in your spare time, in your study time, study Psalm 89. You will see how God felt. And I'm going to give you a few highlights. In verse number three, here's what he said. My chosen servant, David. Verse number 20, he says, with my holy oil, I have anointed him. Verse 21, my hands shall be established and my arms shall strengthen him. Verse 22, the enemy shall not outwit him, nor the son of the wicked shall afflict him. Verse 23, I will beat down, that's the scripture. It's, it's what it says, I will beat down his, his foes before his face and plague those who hate him. That's verse 20. Verse 24, he says, my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with David. Verse 26, he shall cry to me your, and call me his father, my God and the rock of my salvation. Verse 27, also I will make him my firstborn, the highest of all the kings of the earth. David was loved by God. And even though God loved him this dearly, God still said, no, David. See, we have to understand that when God tells us no, that doesn't mean he doesn't love us. Because everything he does flows out of his love. Even when he convicts us and says, no, honey, you can't keep down that path. No, 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 no. You must understand that even in that no, there's love. As much as God spoke of his love for David, still said no. So here's the reality. And if you're taking notes, write this down. No doesn't end there because no, no bears consequences. Let's go back to our text. 2 Samuel chapter 12. Let's look at verses 
10, 11, and 12. Because there, here's, what, here's, here's the consequences of David's uh, actions. God says no. Those, that no comes with a consequence or a series of consequences. Verse 10, he says, the sword should never leave your house. So, David, you're going to have some trouble. This thing that you've done is going to bring you trouble for many years to come. Can anyone agree to that? You made decisions that, boy, it, 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 it was only a 15-minute decision. And in some cases, it was only a five-minute decision. And if you understand where I'm going, in some cases, only a three-minute decision. But it has cost you a lifetime. Now, watch this. Verse 11. I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. What that meant, David's son fell in love with his sister. And because David told him, no, he couldn't have his own sister, he said, I'm going to kill you, Dad. Verse 12 says, you did this in secret. Did nobody know what, what, what happens in Vegas? Stayed in Vegas. He said, but you did this in secret. He said, but I'm going to make sure this thing is known by Israel. And I'm, and I'm going to bring it out into the sunlight. It's going to be open. So we have to understand that God, uh, his concept. So, so oftentimes, and here's where many Christians have struggled. We make a decision. We repent. God forgives. And we assume that the consequence goes away. The consequence is still there. God says no, a gracious, loving no. He extends mercy, forgives the sin, forgives it, and shows grace towards us. But that doesn't mean that the consequence doesn't come. David repented. but he still had the consequence. Here's the thing. One of the, the narratives of the day as it relates to Jesus, he's presented as Jesus who never says no, just says yes. He's the loving Jesus who just says yes. But I want you to see something. Even Jesus said no, like father, like son. Turn with, if you would, uh, to John chapter 5. There's, there's a case here that I want you to see. This is a story. I won't give you the whole, I'll give you the story, so we won't read all of it. I just want you to see verse 14 there. But the story is there is a man who's there at the pool of Bethesda. He's there, been there for years. And Jesus walks up and asks him, does he want to be healed? He says, yes. He says, but Lord, every time I try to get in, somebody else gets in before me. He, ha- he understands. Jesus heals him. And then later on, after he's healed, Jesus finds him in the temple. And verse 14 is what he says to him. Verse 14, chapter 5, verse 14 says, After Jesus found him in the temple, and he said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more. Lest a worse thing come upon you. Jesus said no to sin. He embraces all people, but he doesn't embrace sin just as his father doesn't embrace sin. Here's another example. This one's oftentimes uh, uh, qualified as saying, hey, don't be judgmental, don't judge. 
the eighth chapter of John, there's a woman found in adultery. They drag her out to Jesus, they throw her down, and they start picking up stones. Jesus says, um, he who has no sin cast the first stone. After they took inventory, they all start dropping stones and walked away. Now, here's a revelation. Jesus says, he who has no sin cast the first stone. What he was saying is that the only one here that can throw a stone is me, and I don't have any stones. So watch this. As they all walk away, he asked the young lady, he says, where are your accusers, daughter? She says, no, no one here, sir. Verse 11, look what he says to her. No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you, but go and what? Sin no more. That's a no. So Jesus says no. And he says, if you love me, you keep my commandments. Here's another note. Just jot this one down real quick. The response you have to the no makes all the difference. See, the response you have makes all the difference. I'm sitting with a young man. His aunt had brought him to church a few years ago. And so he had gotten upset, and he had already been labeled as a kid with temper problems, temper tampering temper tantrums. So she's trying to get him in, under control. She's, all, she's got his mom on the phone. She just can't get him. He's all upset. He's just, he's just wild. So I sat down. He's, he had plopped down on the stairs, Sister Linda. He's not moving. And he's a big little guy. You know, he, he, it, it would take two of us men to lift him and take him out to the car. He's sitting there on the stairs. He's not going to move. He's not going to budge. She can't get him to move. So I sit down next to him on the stairs, and I say, son, What's going on? They said, I did something I didn't do. I said, so that upset you? Yes. You didn't do it? No, I didn't do it. I said, well, why are you doing this? Because they, told, they said I did and I didn't do it. He said, you know, my mom, they, they already told me. I said, why are you acting like this? He said, because they told me I've got temper problems. I said, okay. So, okay, well, here's the thing. I know you're angry right now. He says, yes. I said, the, the problem is not that you're angry. It's what you're doing because you're angry. So because God has given all of us this emotion of anger. The word even speaks of him being angry. So we have this, this it's, it's part of your, your makeup, but the problem is how you are responding right now is not acceptable. And here's this point. When God says no, how we react to that no makes all the difference. Do we get mad? We get mad and throw a tantrum, spiritual tantrum. I ain't singing in the choir. I'm going to take me some time off from greeting. I'm going to put my instrument up for a season because we're upset. I'm talking with a gentleman just this week. And he was telling me how he feels like God is mad at him. 
So he said, he's, he's, I said, well, what, what makes you think that? He said, because I just feel like he doesn't make things easy for me. It's always something. Here's what I said. It doesn't sound like God is mad at you. It sounds like you are mad at God. Because the things that you thought he should have done, he didn't do. And now you're saying he must be mad at you because he didn't do what you wanted him to do. So now you're mad at him. Our response to the no makes all the difference. Let's look back at 2 Samuel chapter 12. I want you to see this. Look at verse number 9. So David said to Nathan, I have what? Sinned. He didn't try to cover. He didn't try to say, hey, you know what? She shouldn't have, she shouldn't have been out there bathing without any clothes on, out in the open air. If she wasn't out there bathing, I wouldn't have saw her. He simply said, I have sinned. This is the reality. What God meant about David when he said he's a man after my own heart was that unlike Saul, when Saul did wrong, he tried to cover his wrong. Every time you can follow David's life, every time God told him he was wrong, he repented. God, I'm sorry. Read through the Psalms that he wrote. He'll say, I cried, I, 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 I'm sorry. He's continually speaking of recognizing his wrong. Here's the thing. Instead of David getting angry at Nathan and at God, David responds with Psalm 51. Here's some highlights from Psalm 51. This is, this is David's reaction after this situation. So what happens is uh, she has the baby, but Bathsheba has the baby. The baby gets sick. It's sick. David's he's crying out to the Lord. He, he, he fasts and prays, and the Lord still takes the baby. When he gets up from his fasting and praying, he takes something to eat. He cleans himself up. And somewhere after that time, he writes Psalm 51. And here's what he says. Verse 1, he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgression. That's the first thing. Verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 3, for I acknowledge my transgression. I'm not trying to suggest it would, it would have been if it had not been for somebody else. I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me. Verse 4, he says, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Verse number 10, created me a clean heart, O God, and renew the steadfast or the right spirit within me. Verse 11, cast me not away from your presence and take not your spirit from me. Verse number 12, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Bring me back to that moment when I accepted you and remind me what it felt like to love you for loving me first. Verse 13, then he says, I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted unto you. Verse 16, for you do not desire sacrifice. He said, listen, God, if you want me to pay some money, I'll have paid it. But look what he says. Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are broken and a contrite spirit. A broken and a contrite heart. He says, these God, will, no matter when you come falling out, falling down before him in repentance, he said he will never reject you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Which leads us 
to my last point of the day. Sister Greta, there's always grace present with the no. There's always grace present with the no. You got to go back to 2 Samuel. Don't turn back. Just, 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 uh, you, you can write the note down in verse number 9. We, just, we were just there, but I want you to see this. If you're still there, please join me. He says, so David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. Because he didn't just come to yell no. He came saying no, but grace is always present with the no. See, because God is, 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 is doing what he does out of his love, that love is exhibited even when no is unequivocal. It says, I'm not going to change. I'm not going uh, to sugarcoat it. I'm going to simply say no. Yes. People of God, there are things that are happening in our society that God simply says no. Yes. There's no gray. There's no, there's no, 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 no partial. There's no, part of, there's no new definition. He simply says no. It feels like it's the right thing. He still says no. I felt this way all my life. He still says no. I, I can't stop thinking about it. He still says no. But here's the reality. Grace is always present with the no. I want to show you this. I quoted this earlier. And here's what the word of the Lord says. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, All have sinned, come short of the glory of God. Verse 23, uh, 26, 6 and 23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. See, even though God says no by saying the wages of sin is death, the grace is in the bud. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. The reality is the conviction of love is that love will say no. And we, as we live in conviction in loving God or live under conviction, and one of the things that someone here today, someone watching has to say no to, and that is trusting your own goodness as being enough to please God. Thank you for visiting the Amity Bible Church. If you're in need of prayer, counsel, or if we can assist you in any way, please don't hesitate to ask. If you would like to join, contact us, or receive these and other sermon notes, visit us at amitybc.org. Until next week, be blessed.